You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed. Hi, this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Everett, and you are listening to the Teach Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number 153. Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 18, verses 10 through 14. The Lord said, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always behold the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man came to save the lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Today's reading picks up in the middle of a discourse Jesus is having with the disciples. And in the preceding verses, as well as the opening verses today, Jesus refers to children several times. Is there anything that you'd like to highlight here, Father? Well, as you know, I think context is always important to understanding Scripture, and that is certainly the case here with the text And in that respect, I would point out some broader context about children in the time of Jesus, as well as about the context of how Jesus introduces children into these passages in the beginning of chapter 18. Okay, so maybe how about starting with uh, the broader context of children at the time of Jesus? Today, even though they're considered minors, and thus they do not necessarily have all of the civil rights of an adult, children do have certain protections because of the fact that they're considered to be minors. And even then, children do have certain legal rights in our own day. But in Jesus' time, in the first century Roman Empire, children did not have individual rights the way that we would think about them in our society today. At that time, children were more expendable than we think about them today in the modern Western world. And how so? Well, in the home of a Roman patrician, the father could accept or reject even his biological children. And likewise, he could accept children of his slaves as though they were his own, or he could leave them to grow up as slaves. And this practice, which was referred to as adoption, is where we get the English word genuine. The patrician would be presented the child at a certain age, and the father, if wanting to adopt the child as his own, would put the child on his knee which in Latin is genu, which, from which we derive the word genuine. So if a child had some type of handicap, for example, the father might not adopt him or her. The father felt he had no need for another son or no need for a daughter, despite the fact that he was responsible for their reproduction, for the pregnancy. He could reject the child as it grew up. And this gives you a sense of the environment at the time of Jesus. But suffice it to say, it was a tough world for children, and they certainly, uh, as I mentioned, did not have the individual rights that we recognize them as having today in our own society. So keeping this in mind, you can see that children are part of an underclass. They're a group of society that can be discarded, that can be overlooked or minimized. They don't have legal protections the way that a male Roman citizen would have. So this is yet another group that Jesus not only defends, but uses as a model for his teaching. We've spoken numerous times about how the Bible systematically, and Jesus very specifically, 
always sides with the needy, the poor, the outcasts, the despised, and the unprotected. And here, in using children, it's just another example of that. Thanks for that uh, broad understanding, Father, of, of children and how they relate here to Jesus' teaching. Now, could you look at the more specific context of how Jesus introduces them in chapter 18 and then continues on uh, speaking about them in today's reading? Yeah, certainly. Jesus introduces children as an example at the beginning of chapter 18 in response to his disciples asking, Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And in answering that question, Jesus points to the children as an example, and specifically, he points to a child's humility as what makes one great in the kingdom of heaven. What do you think Jesus means exactly as it relates to being humble like a child? Well, I I think for those of us who have had children or have any meaningful experience around children, it's pretty clear the humility they have in the sense that they understand they don't have all the answers. They look up to the adults. They rely on us to help them. They ask us questions. They're generally trusting, unless we give them many reasons not to be trusting of us. And this, of course, is why children can be fairly easy to manipulate, which is uh, one of the reasons why in our society we surround them with legal protections. So the point I think Jesus is making is that children are humble. They do not put their trust in themselves. They rely on the help of others, just as we ought to rely on God, and be careful not to put our trust in our own righteousness. And with that humility, that innocence, comes the possibility of corrupting children, of leading them astray, which is why Jesus warns in the opening passage of the reading you selected for today, whoever causes one of these little ones to sin, it would be better to have a millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that those who are ever in a position of power, of strength, of control over someone, we should exercise it for their benefit and not for our own. In the gospel, as in all the Bible, the powerful are expected to lead as God himself leads with humility and sacrifice with mercy and compassion as Jesus showed us. And so here Jesus warns his disciples that if they wish to be great, They must become small. Thank you, Father. That was very, very helpful. I want to move to uh, later in today's passage in verse 12. We read, quote, What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray, end quote. As I read this, I came to the conclusion that I would be a very poor shepherd father. I can't see myself uh, just logically leaving the 99 and risk losing some of them for the possibility of bringing back the one sheep who had gone astray. So why would Christ view this one lost sheep in a different light than I would? Well, I, I certainly wouldn't take this parable literally in terms of how to um, be a good shepherd of of actual sheep. And in fact, I think uh, that Jesus seems to be using hyperbole here. That is to say that Jesus is stretching what it means to be a good shepherd, because like you, the, the shepherd of physical sheep is likely to calculate that it's much wiser to protect the 99 than the one sheep who uh, wanders astray. So in this case, Jesus is highlighting how the gospel message and how the Christian should live 
and how that should be different than the normal way that the world works. And as, as I've mentioned before, you know, we're th- we often think as a biological beings, the, the clear calculation as biological beings is to stay with and protect the 99. But Jesus, by using this hyperbole, is, is instructing us, as he does so often, to transcend our biological limitations. So think about it this way. You know, what is, is the biological impulse when you or any other animal that I can think of really is, is attacked? It's fight or flight. So you either run scared or you fight back. But Jesus, in his teaching elsewhere in the gospel, when he teaches us to turn the other cheek when we're struck, is telling us neither to fight nor to take flight. Rather, you stand in there and you actively offer the other cheek. You don't just run away from the conflict, nor do you exacerbate it. And in the same way Jesus is teaching us through the parable of the lost sheep, that we ought to pay close attention to the one wandering astray, as, as Jesus said elsewhere. He came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's the one who's sick, who's in need of, phys- of a physician and not the one who is well. And, and in all of these examples, Jesus is emphasizing the importance of taking care of the outcast, the despised, the weak, the needy, just as we discussed earlier with respect to children. And today in much of Western civilization, I think that we take this basic Christian principle for granted because it has been part of the core of the formation of our society for so long, even though we don't always, of course, live up completely to its ideal or its logical conclusions. But nonetheless, you can see the influence of Jesus and the Christian message on society as compared to what I discussed earlier about the view and the treatment of children in the Roman Empire of Jesus' time. So still, as I said, It's not to say we always live up to the ideal. Uh, So therefore, we must continue to be reminded of these important lessons that Jesus teaches us so that we'll remember our high calling, that we'll remember to transcend our biological impulses in order to live up to our calling, to be holy, even as God is holy, and to reflect his image in which we are created. Thank you, Father. In today's episode, Father Aaron began by explaining how children were viewed as an underclass in the first century Roman Empire. Children did not have individual rights as they do today. For example, in the home of a Roman patrician, the father could accept or reject even his own biological children. Likewise, he could accept children of his slaves as though they were his own. And in today's opening verses, Jesus points to the children as an example. He points to a child's humility as what makes one great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is making the point that children are humble as they do not put their trust in themselves, but rely on the help of others, just as we should rely on God, and be careful not to put our trust in our own righteousness. Furthermore, Jesus is warning us that those who are in a position of power or of authority over someone should exercise it for the benefit of others and not for their own. In the Gospels and throughout Scripture, the powerful are expected to lead as God himself leads, with humility and sacrifice, with mercy and compassion. And in the parable of the lost sheep, it can be tempting to think here merely as a biological being. The logical conclusion is to stay and protect the 99. But Jesus, by using this hyperbole, is instructing us to transcend our biological limitations. We should, in fact, pay close attention to the one wandering astray. For as our Lord said, 
He came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode. Alleluia, glory to thee, O God. Alleluia, 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 glory to thee, O God. O our God and our hope, glory to